It's a bright sunny day, and you're alone in your brand new self-driving vehicle, sprinting along the highway high above Lake Michigan north of Harbor Springs. You're sitting back and enjoying the view. You're looking out through the trees, trying to get a glimpse of the crystal clear blue water below you, moving along at that 45 mile an hour speed limit. As you approach a rise in the road heading south, a school bus appears, driving north. This one's driven by a human, and it veers sharply towards you. There is no time to stop safely, and no time for you to take control of the car. So does the car, A, swerve sharply into the trees, possibly killing you, but possibly saving the bus and its occupants, B, perform a sharp, evasive maneuver around the bus and into the oncoming lane, possibly saving you, but sending the bus and its driver swerving into the trees, killing her and some of the children on board? Or C, do nothing, possibly killing you as well as the driver and the kids on the bus. Does the thought of cars that drive themselves scare you or excite you? Welcome to Law Zero, a podcast about the implications, intended or otherwise, of emerging technology. My name is Angelica Ortiz, and I'm an experienced designer and creative technologist. And I'm Carol Tricky, a brand strategist. So how this is going to go, because we could talk your ears off about self-driving cars, we're going to look at this topic through the lens of control, one of the big things that people really don't like to give up. I like to get off track sometimes, so since this is all about control, please hold me to that. I think I can manage that. I like to think that I'm pretty pro-self-driving car. I mean, I think it sounds cool and the potential is pretty awesome, but when you say self-driving car, I, I need some details. What does that mean exactly? So right now, there are three different levels, per se, of self-driving cars. The first is a completely autonomous car where the human doesn't need to intervene at all. They can put on a VR headset in there, take a nap, do whatever. They don't need to be aware of what's going on at any particular point. The second type is a autonomous car, but the driver is at the wheel, ready to react if he or she is ever needed. But today, we're going to be concentrating on the first two. So the first one about a completely autonomous car and the second, which is an autonomous car, but the driver is still aware of what's going on. So for clarification, these are the things that we are less familiar with as consumers. These are the two that are trying to go mainstream but aren't mainstream yet. The third one, which has self-driving features, is the most mainstream out of all three. Yeah, I could see Control being a major player here. But before we get there, could you explain to me how self-driving cars work? So if you've ever seen a self-driving car, Have you seen a self-driving car? I have not, actually. If you ever do, you'll notice a big hunk of tech that's on top of the car. And for the most part, those are called LiDAR sensors. How LiDAR sensors work is that they project a bunch of lasers out into the environment in front of them, around them. And once it bounces back, once it hits something, it tells the sensor, oh, okay, we need to interpret this data based on what we had before. So a really good example is if the car is driving down the road and the laser hits like a piece of rock, it knows, oh, okay, I need to go swerve to avoid that rock. So it's like echolocation, kind of like the robot version of bats, right? Kind of? Robocarbat. Sure. Think about it. Sure, yes. (laughs) But at this stage, these self-driving cars are driving legally for the most part, but not necessarily normally. What do you mean by that? 
So, for example, if you're driving in Richmond, of which we know very, very well. Oh, yeah. We're driving down the road and there's a self-driving car that's in front of you. And in front of that self-driving car is someone who is parallel parking. And we know of these like one, like the two lane roads. So it's only one going each direction. Mm -hmm. The self-driving car would most likely wait until the person has completely paralleled park and then drive forward. For the most part, most drivers would just circle around the car to continue on the way because we're impatient. But the self-driving car doesn't really know better, and so it just stays. Ain't nobody except for self-driving cars have time for that. Exactly. So to clarify, these things are not currently being used by the public today. Yes and no. So there's a pretty big consumer market that's at least trying to get into the mainstream now, and it can be defined by three big players in the field. The first is Tesla, of which we know pretty well. They're trying to get into the consumer market right now. You know I'm an Elon Musk fangirl. Elon Musk, 2020. But if you think about it, not really. We should look into that. (laughs) I refuse to comment at this time. That's okay. The second is Google and their sub-company Waymo, and they have a partnership with Chrysler right now. Currently, they have purchased about 600 cars from Chrysler in terms of moving forward and testing self-driving cars. And then the third is Uber, and they have a partnership with Volvo. What's interesting about Uber is that they have played all of their chips at the poker table. They have gone completely all in on self-driving cars. They have purchased more than 24,000 cars from Volvo, and they plan to be using those between 2019 to 2022. And actually, one of the places that Uber is testing right now is in Pittsburgh. So if you're going to Pittsburgh and you request an Uber, you can even be in a self-driving car Uber. That's kind of cool that they're already on the road, but most of these companies are on the West Coast. And you just said that Uber's testing in Pittsburgh. I was wondering, why Pittsburgh? There might be some back-end stuff in terms of the partnership with the city. But some pretty obvious things that come to mind when testing for Pittsburgh is that it's a stereotypical metropolis city. You have so many objects and obstacles going in your way. This has a lot more realistic testing. So like, for example, if you're testing in the middle of a desert or something near, if something goes wrong, you're not going to be hurting anybody except maybe a vulture or two. But it's bringing a more realistic scenario and testing it in a bunch of different environments instead of just relying on West Coast roads to work everywhere across the United States. Yeah, East Coast cities tend to be a little bit more together, tend to be a little more compact. I mean, I feel like they're putting cars through like the honors program instead of like remedial driving. Right, there's a variety of different reasons why it's interesting that Uber is testing in Pittsburgh. Speaking of testing and people being around these cars as they're trying to program themselves correctly, Do you know any idea of, like, the legal implications around this? Is this legal? Is this completely illegal? Or are we in that gray space where they're like, it's cool, but don't ask us about it because otherwise we may not be so cool? What's interesting about this is that governments are usually the last to react, right? But in this case, they are pretty fast acting. According to GovTrack, the U.S. House has passed the Self-Drive Act as of September 2017, which, if it's passed by the Senate, it would allow for 100,000 self-driving cars to be put on the road annually. But this has an interesting loophole in that the Self-Drive Act grants safety standard exemptions for the company's first 100,000 cars just to get them out on the market. You did say safety standard 
exemptions? That is correct. It exempts safety standards. Yes, of all the things. That seems like a real late-stage capitalism move. Um, I know we were joking about the government not being exactly the most fast-acting, but are they doing any regulating with this at all? So they didn't just be like, eh, we'll just let things go. Do whatever you want, man. I don't know. Did they? No, they did not. Uh, they They didn't completely drop the ball here. They're also requiring manufacturers to have a plan in place to deal with cyber attacks on these inherently digitally run vehicles. Yeah, we, we need to care more about cybersecurity in general. Um, but that's probably another rant and possibly another podcast for another day. So I've told you about the tech stuff and all the things surrounding self-driving cars at the moment. But do you have any particular concerns culturally, economically? Like, what's your take on it? So I want to make clear, as much as I find self-driving cars fascinating... I don't see it as all sunshine and rainbows. Economic and environmental are the biggest, clearest positives that I can see, but I also have some concerns. Lay it on us. So I've got wealthy people in the suburbs who commute into the city. They're going to be the first people to actually use this technology on a regular basis. They're probably going to be the ones that can either afford the rides or the ones who can actually own these for themselves. And later on, when more people pile on and it becomes a little more affordable, I'm wondering about the effects on public transit. We're going to live our lives more in silos than ever before, which kind of has its own downside. So hopefully it will be affordable to everyone, even if it's just public transit level affordability. So you're telling me that movies will never be the same again. There will (laughs) never be that side glance on the train and all of the rom-com movies. It's like, oh, no that person but now it's going to be a side glance on a self-driving car i think hollywood is going to have to rethink their the setup scenarios for rom-coms in general i mean like i said we're going to be more siloed and dating is already making the the mixed attractiveness couple kind of go away Mm -hmm. but i could see this siloing us even more into class And so maybe you'll only ever date people that are in the same class as you, or maybe you'll only ever date the people that you choose and intentionally encounter. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Now, since you mentioned earlier that this isn't all sunshine and rainbows, why should we be worried about this technology or what should we be skeptical about this technology? So the first major concern I see is security particularly with policing, the idea of DUI checkpoints is going to go away entirely because if no one's driving, no one's ever going to be driving under the influence, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Traffic stops are going to be a less frequent thing. Policing in general is just going to change significantly. People often get pulled over for speeding. And when they get pulled over for speeding, as a result, they get busted for other things, whether or not that is actually accurate or fair. At the same time, it could limit the ability for police officers to do their jobs. Right. But But that also stems from the targeting itself. So they're assuming that they have alcohol in the front seat. They're assuming that something else is going on when they pull these people over. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they really weren't going over the speed limit and they are profiling, which some of the more interesting or even possibly positive elements of self-driving cars is that this can limit the unfair targeting of people of color and just policing in low-income neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So you're getting rid of that profiling aspect. Right. And while it won't get rid of 
racism in general, it does get rid of one of those symptoms. Right. Now, I wonder if when you solve one problem, if this problem unfair discrimination would occur in other ways, like if, like if it's still going to exist, will it manifest itself in other ways? I mean, that's a good question. I don't have an answer and I don't think anybody's asking that question. But that's something that I'm going to be keeping in mind going forward. And I think that other people should, too. Mm-hmm. What are the unintended consequences? That's kind of our point. Yes. The whole reason that we're here. Also related to this is who gets the ticket if they drive over the speed limit? Like your earlier example about parallel parking, like what if this car is taking so long to parallel park, they are actually obstructing traffic? Mm. Is it the insurance company? Is it the person who owns the car? Is it the company that produced the car? That type of thing. Right. Like who has a responsibility for that car? And speaking of if anything goes wrong, another element I had, and that's pretty common in some of the topics that we cover in general, is intentional harm. I've got the all of these alarm bells going off in my head. Can the code in the car be modified at all by the user, or can it be attacked by hacking? If cars can be controlled by an outside force, especially individual cars, or is it like a mass editing system where something went wrong with the code and this entire fleet of cars leans slightly left? Like all of that year, that model and that make suddenly has an awful left lean when they drive. Can you edit en masse or does it have to be individually? Yeah, well, I'm no engineer by any means, but what I can see on this is it may be a lot faster, especially if they're using like Wi-Fi or that internet data, trying to change it that way. Or if it's something that's built in the car, then that's going to be something you have to change on an individual basis. But this actually brings up another point. Could the differences between cars be mitigated with these tech companies sharing their data with each other because I feel like with this type of technology where you have lives at risk these are cars that we're going to be depending on especially if it gets to the point of that very first type of car which is completely autonomous you can completely disengage with the experience that is when things get real and that is when it gets also really scary and so it's one of those things like to put the egos aside and the pride aside to make the technology better more quickly For the common good. Yes, and safer, so that way people can rely on this technology. Right. Instead of being like science experiments every day. One of the other things that I was thinking about when talking about how it's kind of a science experiment in a way was the intentional harm, but not from inside, but from the outside environment. There were these four American universities that published studies that showed street signs changed in a way that looked totally normal to people. But the researchers were able to completely alter how the AI in a self-driving vehicle observed a stop sign. So, for instance, it looked like graffiti. They actually had somebody write, love stops hate, and it looks still looks like a stop sign to us. But the AI in a self-driving car looks at it and completely overlooks it and just treats it like it's a different object entirely. Right. As self-driving cars are being trained and being able to recognize, okay, this is graffiti or this is whatnot, it's going to take a while for them to catch on to how humans are able to differentiate particular things. Right now, cars are pretty dumb. They wouldn't know that it says love stops hate. They just don't know about it yet. And that's something that's going to be mitigated as we are continuing to train the car. Right now, they're basically at baby car stage. Yes. In the grand scheme of things, it's definitely at the beginning of self-driving cars, but it's not... It's not to maturity by any means. Right. 
So you brought up some really good cultural points to consider. And one of the things I also want to discuss are the tech limitations. The first is considering how self-driving cars are viewing the world. So, for example, if there is a plastic bag that's just wisping through the wind. Wanting to start again. Yes. (laughs) Does the car know that it is just a plastic bag or does it interpret it as, oh, no, that is like a flying rock. I should stop and swerve to avoid it. It doesn't really know much yet. That's one tech limitation. Still trying to learn like we discussed earlier. That makes sense. The second thing that's pretty important with this tech is considering those split-second decisions that we make as drivers. So you have the example that we discussed at the top of the podcast. And another example is thinking about that classic dilemma that most drivers have already faced is if you're driving on the highway and a deer suddenly pulls in the middle of the road, do you hit the animal and then possibly prevent further injury from you? Or do you swerve and you might hit a tree? There's these split-second decisions that we have to make. Should we be relying on self-driving cars to make those decisions? Or could they even make those decisions better than we would? They're going to be thinking a lot faster than us, for sure. The question is, how do we how do we code their ethics? But we definitely don't need any buffering. It's like thinking about how to do this. Right. This would be the worst possible time to buffer. Right. I hope these things aren't exclusively attached by Wi-Fi, let alone VCU's Wi-Fi. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that this like animal versus car thing is far more likely and far more realistic of an option than the trolley problem that everybody keeps bringing up. For sure. Now, another thing that I feel is also another tech limitation is accuracy. So being able to navigate the the lanes in particular is something that some of these self-driving cars have had issues with. So actually, in the article that discussed Uber being in Pittsburgh, at one point, the journalist was in the driver's seat and the self-driving car was actually moving into the other lane as they were turning. And the Uber employee in the passenger side said, take the wheel. You got to self-adjust. It's one of those things that this technology needs more time, needs more simulation training to be able to be as accurate and as safe as possible. Something that even confuses or even frustrates me from time to time is that not all roads look the same. And when you're coding if-then statements and dealing with the binary, when you have a, well, you could make this work or you could possibly make this work, that can be really complicated for a non-human brain to handle, I imagine. And I feel like this issue can actually be solved through simulation training. So to clarify, simulation training is uh, putting the car through various types of simulations or scenarios, either hundreds or thousands at a time. So that way you're not driving this car every day, running those scenarios in real life. You're able to do it a lot more quickly and a lot more efficiently. And it helps with the learning process of figuring out the roads and different situations. Right. And the most dangerous position for us to be in is right now the combo of both humans and self-driving cars being on the road at the same time, particularly with the fact that they have a language barrier. I was listening to NPR the other day, and they were talking about how driving is one of the most complicated things that humans can do. And not only do I agree, but it made me start wondering about the human signaling that we do. So if we all show up at the four-way stop signs at the same time, you're technically it's supposed to be the guy to your right that goes, but if the person to your right waves you forward, then, you know, makes eye contact with you and moves you forward, then that's what you do. 
Now, random idea of the day. Do you remember the school bus stop signs that you'll see on the roads? Yes. So, idea time. Okay, hit me. What if you have that same type of scenario, but it's a hand coming out of a self-driving car? So when you're at that four-way stop, you'll have a little hand that just goes like, go ahead. Maybe not a million dollar idea, but, uh, you know, a little something-something. <laughs> I, I mean, we could just like make them transformers at that point, right? Like, because otherwise, you're dealing with a lot of creepy things there. I don't wanna, I don't wanna know where you're getting that hand, and it's not a real human hand because then that gets really dark really fast. <laughs> I still don't want to know. And also, I know very quickly somebody's gonna code an answer to flipping people the bird very easily. Oh yeah, that's. that's- Pretty fair. That's a fair point. If you're using the little appendage to point, oh, you are so quickly going to get people that are like, oh, you know what I can do? Flip the bird. (laughs) What is the world we live in, Carol? What is this world? You know what? We're designing for that world. So this is something that we got to consider. But on a more serious note, thinking about these comments that we just discussed, how much does technology fit? humanity like how much does it adjust for us as humans and then how much do we adjust towards the tech limitations something really interesting that i was reading about that you reminded me of just now was in one situation where a waymo car was doing its simulation training out on the real world it showed up at a stop sign at the exact same time as somebody else and to signal that it wasn't going forward it rolled back ever so slightly to show that it was going backward therefore you should go forward which I thought was really cool in a really good way to highlight how that language barrier might be approached, but I could see consistency being a big problem for them. Does every single Waymo car pull back like that? Do they do that for every situation? That type of thing. Do Tesla cars or Uber cars do something similar? Right. So those are some of the things that people are considering and utilizing right now, but some of the unintended implications down the road include things like The fact that, at least for American teenagers, cars are really tied around the teenage rite of passage. So parental controls, I imagine, are going to be very big because 84% of parents in one survey said that they were very much interested in parental controls for setting the speed limit, setting the curfew time, and setting the number of passengers that could be in the car at any one time. Could parents even enforce a curfew with self-driven cars? Like, it can't get out of itself. It can't drive through whatever building the rider is supposed to be in. Like, how would it even enforce it? The only way I could think of plausibly would be if it it does something similar to the Internet of Things in which once the car arrives at the destination which is supposed to pick up the passenger, it gives a notification to the kid's phone saying, hey, I'm here. Kind of like a lift will have a time limit where it's like, you have two minutes to get in the car. And if you're not in two minutes, it goes away. I don't know if there's anything similar that could be done with that. I bet you there's going to be a market for add-ons to it. So they could even have a little Android robot come out and come get you and come like tug on your shirt until it's annoying or something like that. But that would be adorable. I would just not get in the car so I could see that robot. It might just be in the car with you, or there could be like little ways for this robot to nudge you. So for instance, instead of it coming out and coming and getting you, where it would be really annoying or really embarrassing, it might give you a snack in the car. I don't know. I'm thinking like 
Pavlov's dogs here. <laughs> so bribery is what you're saying. I'm saying maybe there's a bribery add-on. Right. It's like good behavior, following curfew, all of that. But it could also just message you repeatedly, just passive-aggressively, and be like, yeah, you're in trouble, buddy. Get in the car. Alternatively, it could snitch on you, and it'll go away after that maybe that two-minute period of waiting. Mm-hmm. And the next self-driving car that rolls up has your mom in it. Uh, yeah, that, that's not the best scenario. Alternatively, what if it's something similar? Peter Parker told his uncle that he was going to be at the library, but he was actually doing some fighting to get some extra money. Would the self-driving car go to the library and not even pick up the passenger where they actually are? Or would it even know better? Would it have tracking involved? Correct me if I'm wrong. Spider-Man takes place in New York, right? Yeah, New York or a metropolis city of some kind. While New York does have a really great public transit system, I don't think self-driving cars will be as pervasive there because most people do a lot of walking. Right, that's fair. Unless it's a replacement of taxis. That's true. Based on my knowledge of Spider-Man, which is fairly limited, my impression is that I don't think that they'd be one of the people to be able to afford self-driving car. Right. But regardless, if it got to the mainstream point, would it be able to enforce a curfew if The person isn't even there. Right. I wonder if things like missing teenagers and you can't get away with lying, you can't get away with sneaking out, that type of thing from then on. I think that particular idea depends upon tracking and will they know the actual location of the passenger instead of what they say their location is. Right. Like, hey, sorry, mom, this uh, basketball ended early, but I'm going to Jessica's house that's a block away. Right. That's a more innocent example than Spider-Man, but... (laughs) True. Something else that parents said that they were interested in was in parental text display on the windshield to communicate with the driver. I think it was 60% that said that they were interested in that. And they're like, hey, stop ignoring my text messages. I know you saw this, Smoochie Poo. Smoochie Poo. Of all the names. I mean, just it could be something that would really embarrass you in front of your friends if you're not listening. The whole social shaming thing would really come into play here. Right, right. They also have that now with newer models where they'll have that display towards the front console where if you connect it to your phone, you can have the text messages read to you or you can even have phone calls that you can answer in the car and it'll come out through the speakers. I mean, yeah, I've already had a couple of awkward encounters with that where you know, like personal details get discussed and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Something else that's going to change is that driving is going to be a pastime. I mean, that was kind of a weird thought for a minute. I have a stick shift and I'm directly tied to the machine and that's already kind of defunct in a way. That's a weird specialized skill. And the longer I thought about it, the less weird it got because I realized that horses and buggies are actually already defunct. You know, people pay money to house a horse and to have that as a very expensive hobby. It's, it's extracurricular rather than anything else. Now, I also wonder if this would even promote NASCAR a bit more. Like, they're having trouble with their rainy, ratings and such. But if driving becomes a pastime, will people have more respect for the sport in that, like, oh, they're actually driving. Like, I can't even imagine driving. And at high speeds, what? I could even have that unintended positive of being able to help NASCAR. You're right. And it's probably more more skill for them. It's a special skill more than just like the people that love to see the crashes and burns because that's half a NASCAR. <laughs> Alternatively, if we have self-driving cars also doing similar matches, that could open us up to robo fight arenas type of thing 
cars racing themselves, cars fighting themselves, that type of thing. So clearly it all comes down to control. The question I have is, is it better for a car to have complete control when it comes to transportation? Should we retain some control? At any point, would a human have an override? And what are the circumstances of that override? Because clearly having humans and self-driving cars on the road at the same time is the most dangerous thing to have. Right. So we've probably talked our listeners' ears off. What are some of the key takeaways you want them to walk away with? The first one Keep an eye out for the self-drive act that I mentioned towards the beginning of the podcast. It may make an appearance in the U.S. Senate sometime this year. So please keep your eyes and ears out for that and be sure to tell your local representative what you think about it. The second is time. This is actually one of the most important for me, and I really want to impart on you guys, is that this technology is in its infancy. It is extremely experimental, and it still has quite a ways to go before the technology catches up to the demand of this. Keep in mind that the car cycle is usually about 15 years, so it's going to take at least 15 years for it to cycle into mainstream, but most likely because of the tech constraints, it's going to take about 30 years for it to actually be something that we are relying on and using on a daily basis. So the third thing that I want people to take away from this is the social impact. The class divide is going to be more noticeable than ever with driverless cars in the mix, And this could really impact how we treat and fund public transportation down the road. I think that's something that people need to keep an eye on. This has been Law Zero. To our fellow geeks out there, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud at Law Zero Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter under the same name. We're new to the podcast game, so we'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'd also like to thank my brother, Ben Tricky, for the use of his composition, Take Two, as our theme song. I can be found on Twitter at Angelica Ortiz underscore one. I can also be found on Twitter at Carol Tricky, Carol with an E and Tricky with an E-Y. Thanks. <laughs>